1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. Please turn there in your Bibles, and I will uh, pray once more for the preaching of God's Word. Lord, we pray that you would show yourself to us by the proclamation of Christ and His Word. I pray that you would hide me behind your Word. Uh, I pray that you would uh, penetrate our hearts by your Word, by your Spirit working through it. So that Christ would be exalted in our hearts and in our minds. So that your people would be built up and strengthened. That you would bring us to repentance and faith once again. So that we would walk in your ways. So that we would live among one another. In a way that glorifies your name. And gives you honor and gives a witness to the world around us. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Well, everybody knows that if you have to have a difficult conversation with someone, you have to give the person honey before you give them the bee stings, right? You know this uh, from perhaps your job circumstances or a family situation. You have to confront someone at work about something, and so particularly you have two criticisms. First, they keep getting to work late. And second, they keep taking too long on their lunch break, too much time. So you rack your brain to try to figure out, to try to think of at least one good thing to say at the beginning of your conversation to make the rest of the conversation go a little more smoothly, right? There's some wisdom in that. There's some uh, good uh, thought that goes to that. Well, we might think that this is what Paul is doing here. We might read this introductory part of 1 Corinthians Uh, And then read the rest of the letter and think, wow, Paul, you are really laying it on thick here. You're really going above and beyond yourself to try to explain how good you think the Corinthians are. He wanted to say something nice to them before saying all the mean things later. Well, certainly Paul wanted to encourage the Corinthians, the, the, the believers there. He wouldn't want them to be completely deflated after they read and hear his letter. But I think far from simply trying to soften the blow of his later words, Paul is actually genuinely thankful for what he has seen in the lives of the Corinthians. For what he's seen in the lives of his brothers and sisters. And he wants to do something with these words. He wants to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and magnify his grace. And he wants to build up the Corinthian believers' confidence in the Lord. Paul had noticed God's grace at work in the lives of the Corinthian believers, and he wants them to know that he noticed it. He wants them to know he sees God working in their lives. So look at these few verses. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 4 through 9. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So our theme this morning from these verses is this. Since God manifests His grace 
in the changed lives of his people, you ought to thank God for your brothers and sisters. You ought to tell them that you did it. And you ought to tell them why you did it. Thank God for one another. Tell one another that you thank God for them. And tell them why you thank God for them. You see, unfortunately for many churches, uh, we can have a reputation for being critical rather than thankful. Have you ever been in a church where it was characterized not by thankfulness, not by gratefulness, but by bitter complaining, by criticism, for being hotbeds of complaining rather than for being gardens of giving thanks. But rather it should be quite the opposite. Now it's not that we can never express appropriate criticism at the right time. Of course there are times for correction, there are times even for rebuke. But we must admit, at least for most of us, what is our tendency to find fault in others. Our tendency is to complain or to grumble or to criticize. And it's much more difficult for us simply to be thankful. And so in this passage, we are given an example from Paul. We are given an example from his thankfulness to God for the Corinthians. And so from our text, I want us to consider three aspects of Paul's thankfulness. Three aspects of Paul's thankfulness. First, it's revelation. Second, it's reason. And third, it's result. It's revelation, it's reason, and it's result. And in considering these things, I pray that it will stir us up to give thanks to God for one another. To give thanks for His grace among us. Now, first look at the revelation of Paul's thankfulness. Now, Paul is still in the introduction of this letter. To the Corinthians. He began reminding them of his apostolic authority, his authority from God. He reminds them of their saintly status in Christ, and he gives them a greeting of grace and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he expresses his thankfulness for them. Verse 4 I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't think it's enough to simply thank God for the Corinthians. He wants to tell them about it. He wants them to know. In his mind, it's vital for them to know that he is regularly, he says, always giving thanks to God for them. Now this... This tells us something a little bit about Paul's prayer life. He reveals his thankfulness to God to them. He articulates uh, it for them. And it shows us a little bit about his prayer life, but also something about his heart. As I've mentioned before, we're about to embark on a journey through this letter of 1 Corinthians. And the path is littered with rebukes, with corrections, with calls for repentance. And it's necessary because in many ways, the Corinthians are not living in light of who they are in the gospel. They're not living in light of their new identity in Christ. And so he's calling them back to repentance throughout this letter. But just for a moment, just for these few verses, before he launches into some difficult subjects, Paul wants to make sure that the Corinthians know how thankful he is for God's work in them. And it occurs to me, we don't, we don't do this as often as we should. 
We don't express our thanks to, to one another for God's grace as often as we should. Now, most of us have good manners. And so if someone does something nice for us, we say thank you. Right? Kids, you ought to always say thank you when someone does something nice for you. But Paul has more in mind here than simple politeness. He intentionally takes initiative to spell out for the Corinthians his thankfulness to God for them. If we're not intentional in our thankfulness, we will be unintentional in our criticisms. It just seems to be the way it works. A garden left untended sprouts weeds and thorns, and a church without thanksgiving sprouts the noxious weeds of bitterness and complaining. But shouldn't the church, of all places, be the very place where thankfulness grows? After all, we've been shown the most wonderful love in the world. Haven't we been given the greatest treasure in all the world in the person and work of Christ? Haven't we become rich in Christ and heirs of His kingdom? You see, in Jesus' love, He has given us everything we need for this life and the life to come. And that love changes us and makes us thankful. We of all people in the world ought to be thankful people at our jobs, people in our communities, in our neighborhoods. They ought to know us as a thankful people. You've heard the quip, probably, about the wife who complained to her husband, you never tell me that you love me anymore. To which he replied, I told you I loved you when I married you. If that ever changes, I'll let you know. Does that work in marriage? No, that doesn't work in marriage. Husbands and wives tell each other, I love you, often, regularly, genuinely. And it doesn't work in the church either when it comes to expressing thanks. We ought to be thankful for one another, and we ought to tell each other that we're thankful for one another, for God's grace in our lives. So I want you to do something. Turn to the person beside you and say, I thank God Nice and loud. I want to hear you. Say, I thank God for you. Amen. Now let that be the first of many instances where you thank God for your brothers and sisters. Let that spur us on to saying it regularly. Instead of trying to figure out a juicy bit of gossip about someone's life, be on the lookout for evidences of grace in one another's lives. Have an eye toward one another to come up with reasons to give thanks to God. Paul expresses his thanks to God for the Corinthians. But he doesn't just say, I thank God for you. He gives reasons. He gives thanks for them. So we see the revelation of Paul's thanks. He is revealing to them his thankfulness. Now consider its reason, the reason Paul gives thanks for the Corinthians. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. So that's easy enough. The reason Paul always gave thanks to God for the Corinthians is because of his grace that was given to them. Well, what grace is this Paul is speaking of? It was grace given them in Jesus Christ. So our minds naturally turn to the gospel, and they should. 
The word gospel means good news. And the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ has done everything that's required for us to be saved and acceptable before God. He has done it by his life, death, and resurrection. He saves sinners. So the grace given the Corinthians here is unmerited favor from God Adoption into his family, justification before God because of the work of Christ. But Paul goes on and elaborates even more what he's talking about when he says the grace of God given you in Christ Jesus. That word for in verse 5, don't get confused there. The word for there in verse 5 tips us off that Paul is describing how the grace of God has been made manifest in the lives of the Corinthians. For in him, he says, you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So as Paul thinks about the Corinthians, he remembers how they have been changed. Now, we might look at Paul's words here and have a question, knowing what's coming in the rest of the the letter. Is he talking about the same people here in these first nine verses that he is in the the rest of the letter to the Corinthians? They seem like a bunch of sinners. They seem like a church that has totally lost their way. How can Paul say these things about this church? It almost sounds like two different groups of people entirely. But remember, Paul had spent a considerable amount of time with the Corinthians. Probably at least a couple of years. As Paul preached the gospel, remember what he saw. He saw the hearts of sinners changed. He saw firsthand people turning away from idols to serve the living God. He saw people who were caught up in all kinds of immorality lay those things down at the foot of the cross as they repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ. He knows who they were before they came to Christ. He sees the change that has taken place of them, and that's why he is able to give thanks for what God has done. Specifically, Paul points out that they have been enriched in their speech. Consider what James says about how difficult it is to tame the tongue. And yet apparently the Corinthian believers had been made wealthy. He says enriched. They had been made wealthy by the grace of God in their speech. So it seems he's talking about a couple of things here. The quality of their speech. They used their words more and more for the glory of God than before. Once they never spoke of the glory of Christ, and now they are beginning to speak about His greatness. And they had also been gifted, we know, with various kinds of speech, including, it seems, exhortation, words of knowledge, languages and interpretations of languages, and prophecy. Paul also points out their knowledge. They had been made wealthy by the grace of God with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. Formerly, they had no knowledge of the things of God. They were unknowledgeable of God. They knew only of idols and idolatry and immorality. But now God had poured out His grace on them through the preaching and teaching of Paul. Now, 
It seems they were excelling more and more in their knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In addition, Paul says, as a church, they didn't lack any spiritual gift. Now notice that some of these things are the the very things that they struggled with and sinned with. The very things they abused in the church. These are the things that the Corinthians treasured about themselves. Even became arrogant about. They had taken on the values of their culture and applied them in the use of their spiritual gifts and the grace of God in their lives. And Paul's going to address all of that, right? We know that. Paul's going to address all of these abuses of the gifts of God. But although he knows their abuses of these things, he also is able to recognize that God had indeed gifted them in these ways. Now think about that for just a moment. I find that hard to do. To overlook someone's abuses of the gifts or the graces of God and, and simply be able to at least acknowledge that God has gifted them in certain ways. Just think about how quickly you can identify weaknesses in other people. How quickly you can identify faults in others. And yet how slow you are to recognize the grace of God in them. There's a Peanuts cartoon, you know, with Charlie Brown. And Linus is curled up in a chair, minding his own business, reading a book. And Lucy's standing behind him with a funny look on her face. And then she says, it's very strange. It just happens by looking at you. And he says, what happens? And Lucy calmly answers, I can feel a criticism coming on. And isn't that how most of us are? Don't you feel criticisms coming on just as you look at someone sometimes? Well, what does that reveal about us? Doesn't it reveal our own selfish pride? Obviously, we don't have the same faults and weaknesses that others do. And so we can see clearly to take the speck out of their eye. No problem. Obviously, we are more spiritual. And so we can notice the blemishes in the character's of character of others and help clean them up a little bit. What's the case when we can't give thankfulness, but we're all ready to give criticism? Well, if we're not able to live this life in thankfulness, it's because we have an inadequate view of ourselves and our sin, and we have an inadequate view of God and His grace. If we cannot regularly give thanks, if we can't live our lives with an attitude of thankfulness. We have an inadequate view of ourselves and our sin and an inadequate view of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, where he has saved us from. So in, um, in Gibsonville, where I was pastor at First Baptist Church, we had uh, deacons that were built like football linemen. They were all just really big guys, tall Big, stout, strong guys, and one in particular was named Barney. He was like 6'5 or so, probably 300 plus pounds, a really big guy. And he was a country boy. Uh, He would dress in shorts and work boots. He was bald on top, but he had a ponytail in the back. Uh, You would probably be a little frightened of him if you saw him. And yet he was one of the most thankful persons I've ever met. One of the most thankful persons I've ever met. And I didn't realize it until getting to know him better. But a few years before I met him, he had had, I think it was a quadruple bypass 
heart surgery. He was almost dying when he had that surgery. And ever since that surgery, he knew that this was another one of God's gifts to him. And he couldn't help but live in an almost constant state of gratitude for the grace of God in saving him not only once, but saving him twice. We ought to be known for our gratitude. And if we're not, it's because we have an inadequate view of where we have come from, of our sin, of how desperately wicked we are apart from Christ, about the fact that we were dead in our sins and transgressions. If we are not living a life of gratefulness, it's because we have an inadequate view of His grace to us in rescuing us from the dead by the person and work of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to give us new life. Let's examine our hearts here. What is your view of your sin and of the grace of God given us in Christ Jesus? Paul, it seems had an adequate view of his sin and of the grace of God. Chief of sinners, he would call himself. He has, it it seems, the keen ability to see past the ugliness, the weakness, the sins, and to see the diamond of God's grace in the rough lives of these Corinthians. So brothers and sisters, can't we do better than this? Can't we have some self-control by the power of the Spirit to begin seeing one another like this, knowing we're all full of faults and weaknesses of sins? Can't we pause before the criticism and look at one another and identify areas of God's grace in one another? Notice one more reason Paul thanks God for the Corinthians. He thanks God for the grace he has given. He thanks God for the grace he is giving, and he thanks God for the grace he is yet to give, but is sure to give. Verse 8, he will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's vision extends beyond the present sins of his brothers and sisters, beyond their present struggles, beyond all they're dealing with, all the way to the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The day when Jesus would break through the clouds, visibly in all his glory, and when he appeared, these weak, sinful, prone-to-wander Corinthians would still belong to Jesus Christ. Jesus would keep them firm in the faith until then. And Jesus would present them blameless before the Father because he had taken their sin on himself when he died on the cross. Because he had imputed to them his own righteousness so that when the Father looks on them, he finds no fault. The one who called them by his will would sustain them to the end. And this is true of you who are in Christ. If God has called you into the fellowship of his son, he will keep you firm until the end. And on the day of his appearing, he will present you blameless, faultless, without spot or blemish or wrinkle, all because of the grace of Jesus Christ. You see, this is what informs how we see each other in the present. 
Because we know what we will be, we can give thanks for what we are becoming in Christ. Because we know what we will be, we can identify and give thanks for the grace of God manifested in our lives in the here and now. These graces are foretastes of the fullness of His grace in the age to come. So what's a word of thanks you can speak to your brothers and sisters in Christ today? Even now, your mind ought to be reeling as you think of one another. Those who are present here among us. How has God shown His grace in their lives? How has God been faithful to manifest His power in the midst of their weakness? In what ways have you seen God work on them and change them? How can you make this a regular practice of your own prayer life? To always be giving thanks for one another for the grace of God in us. How can you make it a practice to verbalize your thankfulness? So making this a practice of your own prayer life of giving thanks and then expressing that thankfulness to your brothers and sisters in Christ. But friends, let's be a garden of thankfulness, producing fruit of encouragement and joy and love for the glory of God as He shows His grace among us. Now look at one more aspect of Paul's thankfulness. We've seen its revelation and its reason. Now look at the result. The result of Paul's thankfulness. Three results. It builds up their hearts. It cuts down their pride. And it lifts up the glory of God. It builds up their hearts. It cuts down their pride and it lifts up the glory of God. It would surely have been a tremendous encouragement to hear these words read for the Corinthians. Just think about when someone gives you a compliment. A genuine, heartfelt, confident. It builds you up. It strengthens you. It gives you encouragement. Just think about when you're going about your business and someone takes notice of your service and pauses and says, Thank you. Thank you for your service. Now, it might make us proud. It might make us think too much of ourselves. We might become too reflective and think, yeah, I am pretty good, aren't I? But the way Paul gives thanks here doesn't really allow for that. If the Corinthians were listening closely, they would have heard what he said. I always thank my God for His grace given to you. This is ultimately not about the Corinthians, is it? It's not about their greatness or their skills or their abilities. It's not ultimately about their speech. It's not ultimately about their knowledge. It's not ultimately about all the spiritual gifts they have. It is about the gift giver. It is about the grace giver. It's about God and what He has done in their lives. And so not only would it encourage them, it would also humble them. It would undercut Their pride. They would recognize that anything they have is because it had been given to them first by the grace of God. So don't you recognize this about your own gifts? About the graces that are present in your life? About your abilities and talents and your gifts for service? We are simply servants of the living God. We are living not for our own glory, but for the glory of God. Jesus Christ. When we hear God working in our lives, we can't help but be humbled because we know we are unworthy of it. We are undeserving 
of any of his gifts. You've heard the name of Corrie ten Boom. She was a Dutch watchmaker and Christian. She and her family helped many Jews escape the Holocaust during World War II and was imprisoned for her actions. She was once asked, How do you remain humble with all that you've accomplished, with all that you've done? And in reply, she said, When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey, And everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments on the road and singing praises. Do you think that for one moment it ever entered the head of that donkey that any of it was for him? She continued, if I can be the donkey on which Jesus Christ rides in his glory, I give him all the praise and all the honor. See, that's the third result of Paul's 